0: Citizens, And welcome to episode 71 of I Am The Night, where we're looking at season 2, episode 12 of Batman the Animated Series, The Lion, and
1: The Unicorn, and, all I have to say, dear Adam, London baby! Oh, how spiffing it is to be seeing Batman in jolly old England, it's, uh, we're going to talk about how distinctly English or English appearing this is, but uh, yeah, it was a pleasant surprise if I say so myself. Do you know what? I loved this episode
0: so much. I only got tiny brief um, memories of it, but the more I watched, the more I remembered. But like I said, The Fog, which is like stereotypical, but brilliantly done. But I have to say that this episode, written by Diane Duane, Philip Norwood and Steve Perry and directed by Boyd Kirkland, is one of the best animated, best directed, best lit, best put together episodes.
1: I honestly think this show is getting better. It's got, like, a consistent standard and level of strength that we can just come to expect from it, and I'm always going to be grateful to see that level of care and attention, but still, yeah, there was something about this episode that I found just to be very charming and endearing yeah. and very, like, a classic almost Bond, in a way, which yes. is what you'd want in a story set in London, but maybe they set it in London, to be sort of Bond-esque. So there was something very special about this episode, I would say.
0: Oh, without a doubt, and I think... This is the beginning, long before Michael Caine saying that uh, Alfred should be former SAS and the next spy and whatever else. This is the beginning of badass Alfred because he is awesome in this episode.
1: Was that never... A, I, was, I was always under the assumption that like Alfred with the checkered past was always just a key defining thing of his character. Was that never always the case? No,
0: that, that started in the 80s and 90s and this was a big step um, boosting that. Because before that, I mean, I remember reading stories as a kid where he was literally just the butler taking over from his dad as a butler, and the whole uh, field medic, World War Two, all that stuff came later. Because obviously, back when he was first created in the fifties, uh, they were just out of the world, so he he would have been a, a younger man. It's only as he's got older that they've made him more of a legend and a hero as an and an expy and everything like that. But I think this was one of the first major steps towards that. Because if you think back to a series season one of Batman Unlimited series he got taken for a ride by the batwing
1: and he was like all over the place Hmm. so he was he was all over the place but his students still knew how to fly it yeah With, with regards to whether or not it was like on a simple system that was like mostly like autopilot for batman to just program in and let alfred just sort of steer yeah but even so you would still be okay with some level of pilot training and some sort of wherewithal to be able to uh, manage a craft like that, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. and which gives rise to the possibility that, oh, maybe Balfred does have that kind of experience somewhere, yes. which is something that I had just taken for granted. So it's very interesting to me to hear that he wasn't always this, like, checkered past uncertain type of character. And it's also interesting to hear that he was only introduced in the 50s. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, he wasn't one of the, Well, and originally he was Alfred Beagle, who was a bumbling oaf and spoke in a Cockney accent. And then he went off to a health farm, came back thinner and uh, all of a sudden was Alfred Pennyworth and all those shenanigans with multiple earths and earth two and earth one, but it's been written that he was always Alfred Pennyworth. He's a former spy, former SAS and um, always been a badass in modern continuity. And the fact that he spawned a daughter, Julia Pennyworth, who's also a kick-ass spy, and took over uh, running the Batcave operations from Alfred for a while in the um, 2000s. But um, no, he's not a—he's—he's he's almost Silver Age character more than Golden Age, and he's been completely different from his origins to now. He's probably the most changed character since his origins
1: in the Batman mythos and canon. That's so interesting to me because in my mind, I would say here he's one of the ones who's most consistent Mm -hmm. to like as coming in from uh, a relatively younger reader who knows that the bat family is somewhat set in stone at this point. He's the reliable moral compass that is always skeptical of Batman's actions, but will never dare question it. He's the one who has that layered deep backstory of all of that experience of stuff that has been invaluable to Batman as part of his training and part of his support. And he's also the one who just delivers out, uh, sharp wit and witty repartee i've always known alfred to be that so this is actually quite fascinating to hear that he's changed this oh, much so much
0: For the day the alfred we have today well actually the, the Alfred we had until bane murdered him a couple of years ago in uh tom king's batman run, which tom king didn't want dc made him do that um that's the bat the, the, the alfred that you know has actually probably been around as long as you have
1: um he's a product of the late 80s and early 90s i found that really interesting i, I honestly had no idea and i'm certain that many other listeners would be yeah. just as surprised as i am right absolutely.
0: now absolutely if i put out some even some comics from the 80s he's a man that came to work for the waynes when um bruce was already a uh, child and it's been retconned that he helped raise Bruce from birth, and that whole thing's a uh, late eighties, early nineties change to canon. And yeah, well, that's the Alfred you know in your entire life because that's the Alfred that's been around your entire life.
1: But still, like, it's just become such a clear vision mm. of the character that nothing else has really stuck or has been interesting. And I think that's quite that's quite nice. We get the, such a strong vision of Alfred because that's the one Absolutely. that is the most supportive and the most good and the most nice. We get to see him as that. Close confidant and the advisor and the teacher because that is what Batman needs. He doesn't need some bubbling idiot to sort of pick up exactly. for and make up the questions like that. It's very easy for a lot of adaptations to depict like um, Doctor Watson like that. Yes, trailing off to Sherlock Holmes, but which isn't, which isn't how
0: Conan Doyle wrote him,
1: which isn't how Conan Doyle wrote him and It's just frankly just doesn't make sense for a doctor that's been through the wars. Yeah. He wouldn't be an idiot, and exactly. why would Alfred be? So yeah, this clear vision of the strong, determined experienced alfred was just the one that makes the most sense which is why it's the one that stuck the most
0: yeah absolutely right and he is awesome in this episode he fights truth serum he's a code breaker a former spy and the way he deals with and this is hilarious to me the the fact that the two british goons are called bert and ernie to me is just pure magic the way he handles them when they first try and approach him when he gets to london to help his <clears throat> cousin i.e uh fellow spy frederick is just vintage alfred tripping up with the umbrella knocking him over dropping him in the puddles awesome
1: i think that's just a very british way of fighting it's just like how about thee i have i have a large umbrella because by stereotype it rains a lot here in england so i will use it as a weapon (laughs) interestingly it didn't rain in this episode it was just a very nice haze but we'll talk about more london things in a minute probably oh several london things including one little uh, mistake which
0: got rectified later on but we'll, we'll come to that i mean talk about our highlights and lowlights of the episode but yes great uh, vision of London um it was atmospheric moody no rain but tons of puddles mist fog atmosphere classic British landmarks I I, I just love this episode I loved it every second yeah. of it
1: I think we're going to talk about the London sort of visuals which was what you highlighted was just so strong about the whole like look of the episode I find it really interesting to say that the, the big smoke, which is a cl- colloquial yes. name for London, yes. was sort of represented by that haze, even though I know full well that many American cities like your L.A.s and your Bostons way have more way smoke. more have way more smoke and haze, be it from the sea fog or from pollution. So I don't know why it necess- necessitated that, but like still it was quite nice. I think, if we're going to forgive it, I think the thing that made it so distinctly London, other than Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament, yes. because... I don't know why in every bit of TV media or movie media, if you wanted to depict London really quickly, you just showed that shot of the South Bank. Yep. Because everybody knows those landmarks, which yep. is fine. It's great. It's a callback. Everybody knows the New York skyline. Everybody knows the Seattle Space Needle. Everybody knows that part of London. Yep. It's fine. It was the Routemaster buses for me. Yes. The big red buses that have yes. the doorways at the front, at the <laughs> yes. middle, and at the back. Yes. They're so quintessentially English, although we English people would know, that they are, a, they are an oddity. They are somewhat of a relic we barely see those anymore they were, back they were in 93 though they were still around as much as they're as much as they are regular buses now or were they starting to like phase they out they were
0: starting to phase out the old route masters by 90, because you know this the, the, we saw a couple and a couple of them had the automatic doors which are more like the modern buses of now but the one um yeah they're, they're, well they're all still big red double liquor buses but the old route masters yes there were a couple left in the 90s but not many
1: well oh, fair enough but still it's a very quintessentially English things that I wanted to call out and I was very curious to see why we had those lampposts those Lion Witch and the Wardrobe lampposts as part of the English sort of design thing unless you want to save that for later
0: no because I honestly didn't notice them but they are part of the old east end so maybe well in current folklore in the Pennyworth wonderful, I should say the wonderful Pennyworth series, he's an East End boy, which obviously is typical because he sounds uh just like the actor that plays him, Jack Bannon, who sounds like a young Michael Caine and East End boys
1: both. Yeah, so I think that's just another way to reinterpret Alfred because he's either like quintessentially English yes. or somewhat rough and round the edges. But yeah. There's still something so universal to the character that he's there who's been seasoned, been through some stuff, but still helps Batman as best as he can. Uh, Yeah, I thought as long as there's some consistency there, we're we're fine with it.
0: Absolutely. And that whole lamppost thing and uh, East End London and buses and Big Ben and everything else, and the fog, um, it's just to remind our American cousins that this is the land of Jack
1: the Ripper. Ah, to make it nice and creepy. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Exactly. That's
1: what most people know us for. (laughs) Unfortunately, yeah. But then again, I think it was also just like a strong, clear visual difference. They wanted to show, all right, we're not in Gotham anymore. Just for on the street level stuff. Yeah. But still, it was a nice thing to just like. Must have been just a nice sort of break of atmosphere for the creators just to be able to like illustrate somewhere new and put like those little drabs to just make it look all hazy and out of focus. It's always been fun.
0: Absolutely. But some great. Um, as you said, set pieces and some great animation from the scenes in the Batcave with one other thing I've, I loved about this episode. This was the not just the quintessential Alfred that we know and love today. This episode highlighted more than any other episode since his own origin two-parter the quintessential Dick Grayson the acrobat the athlete the showman the crowd goes wild every aspect of Dick Grayson was beautifully portrayed by Lauren Lester in this episode from the Batcave training scene to the quips on the bus when they are fighting the goons vintage Alfred vintage Batman vintage Robin vintage Dick
1: Grayson well, truly yeah we got such simple character moments that are just Very simple, just like one-off moments that just take up like a second and a half, but they just define the character so so very well.
0: Yeah. And when they do um, finally meet up with the villain of the piece and a very welcome return to Star Trek's Kate Mulgrew, uh, Catherine Janeway, a.k.a. the Red Claw, um, she's back. And oh, she was horrible. She was horrible in this episode. Proper villain.
1: Proper villain, but still very determined on and bent on destruction, which gave gave back to that whole very Bond sort of feel. Yes. Just like extorting the world leaders for destruction, and then going through with it anyway. Yes. Never could resist a ticking clock. It was it was very satisfying and very old world uh, camp sort of. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no. I'm trying to find the right word, but like very uh, like sort of like over the top, but still welcome in a way. It didn't yeah. feel out of place in the style of the episode. It just made us feel very Bond to me somehow. Yeah, Bond is perfect because they could have put any
0: terrorist, any uh, character as as the person wanting to bomb London. But the fact it was a European villain in a European city kidnapping Alfred just, I just think that just made the whole episode better.
1: It it kept the whole theme consistent. If yeah. it had been anybody else, it would have been a little out of place, because you said you misremembered when we set up the DVD and stuff that you thought this might have been a Mad Hatter story, which would have still made sense. Lion
0: in the Unicorn, it's just the title. Yeah,
1: yeah, but still, it would have made sense for it to be like someone with Lewis Carroll, the, yeah. so, the sort of themes to it, but it wasn't necessarily the case. But it still worked out that it was someone that brought the themes back a little bit more clearly, a little bit more... And an unexpected sort of way. So we were rewarded by them staying so consistent. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And um, I I said earlier that this was quintessential Alfred and Robin, but obviously this was vintage Batman too, because when they do um, track him down and going to save him, uh, after passing through uh, the Ministry of Defense and the characters, this is so brilliant. Looking at the closing titles, obviously because I do my research for the actors, um, the two lead spies in the Whitehall offices are called M2 and M3, like yeah, M they, from Bond,
1: yeah, made, I thought that was great. another thing that made it just feel like Bond, those sketchy sort of yeah. um, single letter code names, because I think the original uh, cr- controllers of MI5 way back in the 50s when they were founded during the Cold War, they would sign all of their documents with with like single letters in green ink and stuff, mm-hmm. just to like add that mysteriousness. So which is something that we can sort of expect from vague yet menacing government agencies at this point yeah and it's good to see that even then they wanted to keep that sort of consistent for characters that weren't named on screen
0: yeah and, and the fact that batman and robin just walked into their offices it's yeah. vintage batman <laughs> yeah
1: it's it's secure building but it's secure for most people
0: and when they're in the uh fortress attempting to rescue Alfred and Frederick the way they take down the goons like shadows in the night I mean I, I saw everything from like a Scooby-Doo episode to a horror movie to the way that Batman and Robin just appeared out of the shadows and one by one every goon that marched down that corridor with their big bad guns were taken down was just beautiful
1: so incredibly satisfying to just see that moment where the guards were more and more oblivious as the rest of them were just being picked off one by one it was a very it's, it's such a naturally Batman moment yeah. but I can't think where else I've ever seen it except for like the other one sort of like that would be like where a goon's running up silently behind him and he just does the That's, hand up yeah. one punch sort of deal mm-hmm. and the getting two guys and cracking their heads together sort of deal but um, it's just a strong Batman visual that you can't place but you just know it about the character
0: yeah indeed absolutely and um, it's great because you see them fighting, you see them winning, but what I loved is the actual love, the the fact that Bruce and Dick were so worried about Alfred, because Alfred's like the constant, like you said it at the beginning of the show, the constant, the backbone of the operation, the one who's always there, the most reliable person, and they get up and he's gone, cold tea left, no washing up, no breakfast, and they're not worried about that, they're worried about It'll what's be. happened to alfred
1: yeah because i know that a lot of other people like him because we looked a few episodes ago about the terrible traitor, the fox and yeah. those guys those kinds of yuppies would be like "Oh, horrible you can't get the staff you'd be fired that yeah, sort of stuff exactly that's because yeah. these are the good kind of rich people who would see the obedient servant as a dear friend and family member and they're grateful to see okay sure bam, bam alfred's gone somewhere we need to help him yeah. and is just a great unifying moment that just led the action of the episode and once again it makes the bat family just that a family truly and it's nice to see it so consistently
0: so of course um we've talked about vintage batman robin and alfred beautifully played as always it goes without saying that Lauren lester kevin conroy ephraim Zimblis jr are legends but again the level of talent they've picked to play the other characters, even the M's, who have a couple of lines in the episode, has blown my mind. And when I tell you who played Bert and Ernie, you're going to flip. So let's start with Bert and Ernie, shall we? So Bert and Ernie, the goons, named after two Sesame Street characters, but Bert and Ernie are proper English names, lad. Truly. <laughs> proper nice lads around
1: the, around the pub.
0: Go Right, so Ernie is played by Richard Doyle, who's a, a vintage actor from shows like ugh, everything. Cheers, Voyage of the Bottom of the Sea, Dallas, Smash, he appeared in Air Force One, the movie, and animated credits including Ben 10, Pinky and the Brain, you name it, he's done it. But the surprise for me was the actor who played Bert, because he's more known as British pop legend and uh, advocate for mental health, Adamant. Oh really, what? Absolutely, Grammy Award winning, Brit winning, Ivor Novello winning, Hugh Award winning, Adam Ant, who obviously came out in the um, early 90s as bipolar and he'd done so much for the mental health um, scene, um, prognosis of of that kind of uh, mental health disorder and stuff like that, he's he's done some great things, but he's also a very accomplished stage and screen actor. I mean, he's appeared in stuff like The Equalizer, uh, Tales from the Crypt, northern exposure and even episodes of stuff like sylvester and tweety so he's an accomplished actor and voice actor as well and i did not know because i've got his records i grew up in the 80s um that he was in an episode of batman the animated series until tonight
1: and he has uh, a surprisingly extensive um voice acting and acting career behind him. And you didn't know about that before either.
0: I knew he'd done some TV and stuff, but I didn't know about the stage stuff and um, the the fact that he'd appeared in so much American TV and animation. That's a brand
1: new um, thing for me to find out today. Well, it's certainly an unexpected and pleasant surprise. A big icon like that of the 80s in the most unexpected place. I love little surprises like that. Absolutely. And let's talk about the two M's. The first is BJ Ward, the female M, who
0: is... Well, she's honestly a cartoon voice acting royalty. I mean, everything. Everything. Disney, Warner, everything. I mean, just to name a couple Scarlett and G.I. Joe. She was Jana of the Jungle. Okay. That's her. That's B.J. Ward. Uh, Betty Ross in the Hulk cartoon. So Bruce Banner's girlfriend. But more than anything, she's one of the most consistent and prolific Velma from scooby-doo oh wow and betty rubble from the Flintstones.
1: oh wow that's that's a nice blast from the past a great classic hannah barbarian on, on a related note yeah. uh as a time of recording of this uh episode dear lesnar r- uh right around now should be the hypothetical time when uh the father of the jetsons would have been conceived oh wow the, because the jetson because his birthday is middle of 2022 oh wow so Uh, That vision of the future projected in the Jetsons, one of those few shows that I've seen very, very little compared to Flintstones, Mm -hmm. is on the horizon. But it's great to see a titan of those shows um, absolutely working on a bit part on Batman. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable.
0: The other M is, again, legend Kenneth Mars. From shows like Malcolm in the Middle to legendary movies like The Producer and Young Frankenstein, What's Up Doc and Radio Days with Woody Allen. But you, sir, will know him more than anything else. As Little Mermaid's father, Triton. Oh wow! One of
1: those voices. One of those voices. I, said, those I, knew, voices. I knew
0: the voice. Did not I? I said you, yeah, I know this voice.
1: Yeah, you have the you have the tendency to just sort of like put little comments and uh, questions to things while we're while you're watching stuff. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's helpful just to spur on a little bit of thought. Sometimes it's like trying to watch this is Dune. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This is Dune. This is a three hour film and I need to concentrate on the space politics. Please hush. But but, but yeah, this one time you were just like, oh, I know this for I mean, us. But I was carrying on you to be able to bring the, the research a little bit later. And yes, it was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, well,
0: another pleasant surprise. Um, again, a voice I recognised immediately was the voice of Frederick, who's played by, again, British acting royalty, Roy De Trice, father of actress Michelle DeTrice, father-in-law to people like Edward Woodward and Alex Hyde-White, but that's just his family. He played Mozart's father in Amadeus. He was a prisoner of war and war hero. He was shot down and it was a prisoner of war from 1942 to 1945. He was the star of the legendary one-man show where he played on stage on his own for two and a half hours for years and wow. even when transferred to broadway he played dickens himself in the famous dickens of london tv series but he's also got sci-fi and geek cred in shows like angel and space 1999 he was zeus hercules father in hercules legendary journeys but we have to talk about one thing which i know is very dear to your heart and that is um the works of um mr um Oh, God, what's his name? The writer of Game of Thrones? George R. R. Martin. George R. Martin, yes. Well, he was the original choice for the Grand Meister, but he was too ill, but he still appeared as Wisdom Helene, the Pyromancer in Game of Thrones. But he was a Guinness World Record holder <laughs> for playing all 224 characters as the narrator of
1: all the Song of Ice and Fire audiobooks. Oh, wow. So he narr- he. He had to read those 600-page monsters yes. for Audible. Yes. And wow. he held a
0: Guinness record for playing all 200. No one had played more characters until very recently, until he's out passing a couple of years ago, more characters in an audio series than he
1: has. Yeah, the diversity of characters and experiences that the, those books bring out is quite intense. And yeah game of thrones and the song of ice and fire books have been credited as being one of the greatest bait and switches in fiction because it starts with ice zombies and then goes into deep politics yes but in any case to be able to give that level of story that level of depth yes. as just one performer is quite impressive it's, that's amazing actually
0: it's 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 absolutely wonderful so again warner brothers uh, andrea romano the voice director casting director i salute you because you just blow my mind week after week year after year this show top-notch
1: awesome. oh, it's amazing that you can get that level of talent that consistently that unexpectedly for bit parts considering they're titans in any other project they work on yeah truly amazing
0: absolutely right so that's who was in it that's what it was about but let's talk about our main
1: takeaways from the lion and the unicorn i think my big most fun moment was the joy that somehow despite my being 26 and my father being 51 hmm I will posit the fact that I am the adult in this relationship and he is the child, <laughs> I ain't gonna because deny it. of one key wonderful moment in this episode when it looks like the day is saved, Batman's hopped into the Batwing, is going to fly fly away and um, very much uh, proton torpedo, bring, destroy the Death Star <laughs> sort of deal right at the end, stay on target, but that's not the thing. It's just the moment of the sudden appearance of Redclaw right behind him. It's just like, oh no. Um, you said something stronger, but we're going to keep it PG on this show. Yeah but still that unexpected surprise the villains coming back just like um the blonde guy at die hard yeah just like edward woodward at the end of hot fuzz there's yeah. that classic moment in a lot of pulp action where a villain will just pop out right at the end and it's such an expected thing but the fact that it can still surprise a big kid like my father who's taken in more yeah, than dub- who's who's been around more than double the length <laughs> of time i've been alive but can still be surprised by that it's just a wonderful bit of magic that you can never really repeat
0: absolutely definitely um takeaways for me one great one um alfred being so sad about knocking out a goon and a female goon thank you equal rights movement female goon in this series and a female lead villain brilliant um yeah taking her out a uh, wwe style with a chair and realizing it was a louis 15 chair and being
1: so distraught about it well uh it reminds me of um Classic. certainly reminds me of that bit in the last crusade where um Sean Connery oh, thinks yeah. he's broken a uh, Ming Dynasty vase, but it, it's a fake. It's a fake, so you can tell it's from the cross sections. <laughs> it's fantastic, absolutely fantastic. But still, it hurts you to break something like that. Yeah.
0: And one minor quibble um, this time, I've spotted a continuity error. Oh yeah. And it involves our beloved root masters. The first time you see them, the door is on the wrong side. It's on the American side of the bus but when it stops and they drag the goons off it's on the correct side. So I'll just uh, chalk it down till we saw that bus in a reflection. Driving by the reflection or something, I don't know. I'm just gonna make up crap. To because that's one tiny little gripe about for me. What was a ten out of ten episode? Loved it. Well,
1: listeners, I have um, I have what I believe is uh, believe to be known as shadow speed vision. I edit a lot of audio and video for various projects, so I'm good at like getting out clear moments in a thing. So I see things quite quickly, and I. I've spotted Constantine errors in this show before, we've talked about it, but oh, yeah. I truly didn't spot that one. Yeah. So that one, I'm even more willing to forgive because even I, even my eagle eyes didn't oh, see it.
0: There you go. Well, that's good enough for me. Amazing. Adam. Yay.
1: Right. So, yes, that was another episode of I Am
0: The Knight, uh, The Lion in the Unicorn. We loved it. But tell you what else I love. I love hearing
1: about what Adam does when they're not doing I Am The Knight. Adam, what does thou does? I does a lot of things. I truly does do a lot of things. For Batman-flavoured things, or for rather DC Comics-flavoured things, look to my many reviews a month on Dark Knight News. Both Catwoman and Suicide Squad are in excellent spots right now. But for my one true love, PC and tabletop gaming, look to our Pride and Joy, Ooh, yes. FantasticUniverses.com, for my thought pieces, reviews, and general quibblings about digital card games, gacha games, and the latest releases for PC, console, tabletop, and everything in between. Look to the Apotheos Studios blog for long-haul articles about supplements for 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, general nerd news, and anything to level up your TTRPG experience. And look to RuneterraCCG.com for hard-hitting news and deck brews featured in and around the League of Legends card game. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer. Look to Twitch.tv forward slash IsItTinkerer for my card gaming uh, live streams. Look to... The hostile atmosphere on YouTube for my PC Let's Plays look to no ordinary heroes for my Dungeons and Dragons Let's Plays. And there are podcasts out there in the in the ether for you to listen to as well. As I said, I make a lot of content.
0: Yes, you do, and it's all marvellous. Do check it out, especially if you're a big gaming fan. If you're a comics fan, again, you always check out DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, because this is part of the DC Comics News podcast network where you also find shows like The Spinner Rack and Harley Quinn, the animated series, um, Mad Love, and the video show on YouTube, DCN After Dark, you can catch all of those on Spotify, Twitter, Google Play, Stitch, and wherever else you'll get your podcast fixes from. You can catch DC Comics News and Dark News all across the internet and on Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, and of course, uh, Facebook. And you can catch me on Twitter by tweeting at Lstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. You can hear my voice across the Comics Emotion feed on Superheroes for Dummies,